Welcome to River Valley Church. It's good to have you here. I'm, I'm glad you're part of this service today. Um, it's a whole lot better for the staff to have people be in church, even on a holiday weekend, so we're really glad you're here. Um, I am going to be continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago with Pastor Rob on Philippians. Pastor Rob today is out at our Minotristic campus. He is dedicating Pastor Brian and Bethany Engel, our campus pastor's beautiful little daughter out there today. So he celebrated his in-law's 50th wedding anniversary last night, which I think is a huge accomplishment. So today I'm going to be continuing. Two weeks ago, Pastor Rob taught Philippians chapter 1. And the essence of that chapter is to live is Christ. To die is even better. It's gain. And last week he taught us that from chapter 2 about humility. And that the greatest thing we can do... Whoa, we're getting moody in here, all right? <laughs> the greatest thing that we can have in life is a humble, teachable heart before God. And he gave us some ideas about how to kill that pride. I want you to know... I was obedient this week. I went and played golf, and yes, indeed, it did kill my pride. <sighs> this week, it's my privilege, my honor, and I'm, I'm very thankful to Pastor Rob for giving me the opportunity to spend this time with you talking about chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is one of my favorite chapters. I have spent a lot of time over the years in this chapter. I find it both very, very challenging, so that's a kind of a heads up, also find it very, very encouraging, and that's what the Bible is. Even though the Bible may challenge us at times, God may challenge us at times, he never leaves us without a way out, and we're going to talk about that today. Have, are any of you in here readers? You like to read fiction or nonfiction. You just, you just enjoy reading. You read a good book. I'm, I'm one that prefers nonfiction, and especially biographies, but I'll go for those novels that have, you know, four or five, six or seven of them written, and, and these characters, you get to know these characters, and by the time you finish the series or you finish the novel, you're like, I just lost a friend. He's gone. He's left my life, because I feel like I know these people. I just know how they behave, and I just, I just know them, Right? Maybe you're a TV watcher. Any TV watchers in here? Yeah, okay. So I have a favorite TV series. No, I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's a good one. But this TV series has four or five characters that I've gotten to know over the last few years. In fact, I have 25 episodes DVR'd at home right now because I just really enjoy it. I think the character development on these guys is just so much fun. They're just... They're, they're real people, and I know them, and I know how they'd react. And every once in a while, I'll do something that says, yeah, that's what that person would do. And then I realized I don't really know those people. They're just actors. Gosh. You know, come on, Lindsay, get in the real world, will you? And then, okay, this is the really the stupidest one. I, you know, when I watch the news, I watch Care 11. And I know Mike and Julie. Right? I just know them. In fact, I know that if I saw Julie Nelson at the grocery store, I could walk up and say, hey, Julie, how you doing? And she'd turn around and go, hi, Lindsay, good to see you, long time no see. I've never met the woman. She would look at me, like, you know, but I live in this illusion that I know Mike and Julie. I wonder if we do that with Jesus. Oh, that was a heavy question. I wonder if any of us, or all of us, at all times, or some, not at all times, but at some times, 
during our journey with Jesus that we settle for thinking we know him when we really just know about him. You know, we're not the only ones that fall victim to that. Even the disciples who lived with him, lived with him, day in and day out, in the flesh, lived with him for three years, fell victim to that. John writes about it. John chapter 14, Philip came to Jesus toward the end, at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he said, Jesus, just show us the Father. And Philip turned, or Jesus turned to Philip, and not in a rebuking way, not in a belittling way, but out of a heart that desires deep relationship, said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? I think Jesus asked us that question today. Have you been a Christian so long, yet you still don't know me? Paul was on a journey. When he wrote Philippians, he was in a prison. He'd lost everything that had ever mattered to him. And he compared it with knowing Jesus. And he writes about it in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Read with me. It says, but what things were gain to me. These I've counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I, count all, I also count all things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, which is the power in our lives to live a transformed life, not to live on just a natural, everyday, boring, unrewarding, unfulfilling life, but a life designed by God to be full and satisfying. Let's unpack this for just a minute. What Paul is really saying here is that he gained a lot of things in life. And when he added all those things up, you know, some of us are old enough to remember the scales, you know, where you had the two pans and you put stuff on this pan and you put stuff on this pan and you tried to balance it out. Paul did that because that's how they had scales in those days. He put all the stuff he had gained in this life, all the natural stuff, all the external stuff that he'd prized, that he'd valued, that he wanted, and he put it on this side of the scale. And he weighed it against knowing Jesus. And his experience said that knowing Jesus weighs a whole lot more, that this is rubbish, Stuff that you'd rather throw away in comparison to knowing Jesus. In fact, he used a word that we call dung. Yes, it's that stuff that you chase after your dog and pick up in the little plastic bags. He said, comparing the knowledge of Jesus to everything else I had strived to achieve in life, all of this stuff is rubbish, dung, 
It doesn't matter when I weigh it against knowing Jesus. I don't know about you. That, that, that kind of gets up in my face, right? If I read that and I have to be honest with myself, do I really put that much value on knowing Jesus? Or am I much more focused and intent and passionate about all the other stuff that my life in the 21st century United States can get cluttered with? Let's talk about Paul. Let's, let's have Paul help us actually find out what this stuff is that he found out was just rubbish and dung and refuse stuff that he could just throw away because it really didn't matter in the long run, that knowing Jesus was much better. And I'm going to read you the list that he shared in, in verses six through, or 5 through 6. You can go back and read it yourself, but I'm going to put it in a list that, that referred to his life in the first century, but then I'm going to trans, translate it into the 21st century here in the United States, just so it puts everything in perspective, right? So Paul said he had the right ritual, He said he was circumcised. Circumcision says you have a covenant relationship with God. So he was happy that he had the right ritual in his life, and that meant a lot to him. You know what? Today, our ritual is church attendance. Yep, I'm happy, and it matters that I go to church every weekend. Yep, I'll go to church every weekend. In fact, it matters so much to me, I'll even go to church on a holiday weekend. Woohoo! Right? We've got the right ritual down. Paul said he was from the right race. For him, he was an Israelite. I might say it this way for 21st century Christians, especially in America, I'm an American. Not only am I a Christian, I'm a Christian American. Yes, bless God, and especially on the 4th of July, let me be happy about that. I'm proud to be an American. Nothing wrong with it, but if that matters more than knowing Jesus, we got a problem. Paul also said he was from the right family the tribe of Benjamin. Maybe for some of us, we're from the right family. We grew up on the right side of the tracks. We weren't the people that everybody else wondered about. We grew up on the right side of the tracks. On the flip side, maybe we feel like we're from the wrong family and we always have to work so hard to earn respect and be, a, be accepted and all that kind of stuff. So our family is either a, a boon to us or a drag to us and we get all occupied with family. And there's nothing wrong with family unless it usurps knowing Jesus. He goes on, he says, I had the right religion. I was a Hebrew. Paul said, I, in fact, not only was I a Hebrew, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was at the, kind of the top of the list. I was the best of the bunch. Well, in the 21st century here in America, we say I'm a Christian. Christian. Yep, I'm a Christian because I prayed that prayer. And I know I'm going to get to heaven because I prayed the prayer. Pastor Rob asked me to pray that prayer, and I prayed that prayer, and all's good. Maybe, and then Paul goes on, he said he had the right occupation. His occupation was a Pharisee. Yes, all those people that Jesus rebuked, but he prided himself in being a Pharisee. And maybe for some of us in this room, we pride ourselves in what we do what our occupation is. And we're happy that we, in fact, we're confident, we're happy, and we're blessed because we have the right job. Or maybe our quest for the right job consumes us. 
And we, we want that right job, we want that right title so we can make enough money to drive anything we want or have anything we want or do anything we want because that's the most important thing. That job matters to me and I've got to be confident in that job. I've got the right occupation, therefore I'm secure in life. Now, these are the things that he thought were so important to him. He goes on and he says, not only was I in the right race, I had the right zeal. I was zealous, Paul says. I was so zealous, I was a persecutor of the church. I went after everything that I didn't think lined up the way it should line up, and I wanted to stamp it out. And maybe in the 21st century, we get on our high horse about the godliness and the righteousness, and we've got to have a nation built on righteousness, and we're going we're gonna to pursue that, and we're going to be advocates about that, and we're going to be zealous about having that nation be a godly nation. And we get consumed with that, and that becomes really, really important. And the last one, he said, he had the right morality. In fact, in the Bible, he says that he lived blameless in the Jewish law. In other words, he kept all the rules and all the regulations. He did everything right. And for those of us here, maybe we pride ourselves in our morality. We're living right. We do the right things. We're a highly moral person. And so I'm confident in life because I live morally. Paul said, I looked at all those things. Rubbish. Compared to a real, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. See, we can major on things that don't really matter. But if we major on knowing him, if we make that our priority, all of the rest will take care of itself. It'll just fall into place. Paul's challenge to us is to know him. In fact, what he says here is knowing him, knowing Jesus personally, intimately, one-on-one, matters more than anything else. Is that our goal, or have we settled in America for knowing about him? You know, I think we can get complacent in America because life is pretty easy here. And so we'll settle for knowing about Jesus. We, in fact, we'll know him biographically, right? But there's a lot of you in this room. You're satisfied knowing that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth about the age of 30. He went out and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit filled him. Then he told a lot of stories and he raised a lot of people from the dead and he did, he multiplied fish and loaves, and he did all that kind of stuff. And you know all those things. You could tell all those stories. And then finally, he gets beaten and crucified, and he dies, and they put him in a tomb, and then, yep, it's empty after that. And you know the biography. But he's not real to you. You know, I can draw an analogy there. I'm a big golfer. I love Tiger Woods the way he played golf. 
All right. And so when he was at his peak and playing golf amazingly, I read all the biographies. I read all the stories about him. I read every, I read every book that was printed by Tiger. I had them all. I thought I knew him. I knew all the biography. Turns out I didn't know him at all. I don't think very many people knew him, really. You can read the book, the Bible, as a history book, but not know him. We can settle for knowing him just intellectually. I was good at this one. When I first turned my life over to Jesus in my early 20s, I spent a lot of time reading and studying I got out the Strong's Concordance, the Hebrew words, the Greek words. I got out the Vines Expository Dictionary and studied all the meanings behind these words. I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied, and all I got was an intellectual knowledge, a head knowledge of Jesus. I was smart here and hard here. But I thought I knew him when I just knew a lot of stuff about him. Here's, a, here's one that may be a little bit tough for this crowd. Have we settled for knowing him by association? May I speak to all the young people here, all the kids that get dragged here by their parents every week, get driven to one student ministries on Wednesday night by your parents. You don't get a choice in it. You come, and you've grown up, and just going to church is just the way you know to do life because it's the way your family does life. And you know what? It's remained your mom and your dad's faith, your mom and your dad's Jesus, your mom and your dad's Savior, but he's not your Savior. He's not your Jesus. He's not the one that died for you. It's just something you do. Now let me take it to the next level, as adults. Maybe you know Jesus by association, your association with Pastor Rob every Sunday morning. And you come, and you hear about Jesus, and you hear about the Jesus that Pastor Rob preaches, and you know Jesus through Pastor Rob. And he is your conduit, if I can put it that way, to Jesus. But the only time you think about Jesus is this 62 minutes, 63 minutes every weekend. If this is the only hour that you think about Jesus, I'm going to challenge you. I don't think you know him. You only know about him. And he wants to have a deep relationship with you. And then there's another bunch of us who have grown up living for God for a long time, and we know him because we're a rule keeper. And we live by the rules. And we can keep the rules. And we know what the rules are. And we know what the law is. And we know how to live like a Christian. And we know how to behave. And we do everything right on the outside. But inside, our heart is dying. Because it's not relationship built. It's rule built. Jesus talked about Pharisees. Those people being people who draw near to me with their lips. On the outside. But their hearts far from me. You know what? Knowing him biographically, 
knowing him intellectually, knowing him by association with somebody else, knowing him by just keeping a set of rules doesn't satisfy your heart. There's something deeper than that. There is an intimacy that God wants with every one of you that brings joy, contentment, peace, and satisfaction at a level that all the other stuff on the outside doesn't matter. And that's what Paul said. I've experienced this joy and this contentment and this satisfaction that comes from a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus and all the other stuff doesn't matter. As long as I can know him more today, that stuff, don't worry about it. See, one of the traps that we live in in America is that we like to live a responsible life. Responsible life rather than a responsive life. We'll take on a lot of things. We'll get a lot of things done. We'll have our agenda, but we don't let God set the agenda. We just run our agenda until we run ourselves into the ground, and then we come running to him. The great thing about God is he always takes us. But he wants something much more personal. Let me read to you the translation of this word, knowing Christ, from the Greek. I'm not going to be a Greek scholar here, but I'm just going to, this is a great explanation of what God wants with us. This knowledge is something that grasps and penetrates into an object, us, gets on the inside, and refers not just to a passing acquaintance or to an intellectual head knowledge, but to more intimate, experiential knowledge. During worship this morning, I sensed this crowd, some in this crowd might be uncomfortable with the idea of an intimate relationship with God. Because intimate means vulnerable. It means being honest with God about what's going on in the inside. And I want you to know, Jesus will never condemn you. He'll love you in that vulnerability. And he'll take you and restore and heal what's broken on the inside of you. But unless you open up your heart, your innermost thoughts to him, he won't get in there. Jesus doesn't want this arm's length relationship with us. He wants a face-to-face personal relationship. The Amplified Bible in, in that talking about this knowledge of Jesus, it's a priceless privilege, an overwhelming preciousness, a surpassing worth, and a supreme advantage. Now, I told you there was a lot of encouragement in Philippians. The reality is we'll never know him as deeply and intimately as we possibly can this side of heaven. But the joy is we don't have to stop where we are. He doesn't condemn us for where we are. He doesn't condemn us because we may have stalled out on just being satisfied with knowing about him. But he always reaches out to us and says, come on, come closer. Come on, I've got more. See, I don't want you to stop for a boring, dry, worn out, dead faith in Jesus. That's not what he died for. We celebrated communion. He didn't go through that sacrifice to have you be bored in your relationship with him. He has something life-giving, powerful, eternal, and just so meaningful for you. It's so much more than just knowing about him. So today, wherever you are, I hope you don't think you have know enough 
because you're going to get bored next week. And if you just have settled for just knowing about him, let me read Philippians 3, verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already attained or already perfected, but I press on. I move forward so that I can lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That's that life that matters. That's that life that has purpose and substance and meaning and joy and contentment and satisfaction deep down on the inside so that what happens around you doesn't shake you. Because you know the great I am. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing, one thing, just one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. I forget where I've been, what I've known. I forget what sins I've committed. And I press toward, I I reach toward those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Church, every day we are presented with opportunities to know him more. Every failure is an opportunity to know him as your redeemer. Every failure. Not an opportunity to run from him, but to run toward him and let him redeem the situation. Every time we sin, and I'm not saying go sin to learn how faithful he is, but every time we sin, it's an opportunity to learn how faithful he is. Even when we walk away, he stays with us. He's faithful. But you've got to run to him, not from him. Every sickness is an opportunity to know him as our healer and our comforter. Every trial is an opportunity to know him as our strengthener and our advocate. Every triumph, every good thing in life is an opportunity to know him as the source of everything that we have. Everything we have that's good in life comes from the hand of God. And every conversation that we have is an opportunity to know him as the life giver, to speak life and faith and hope rather than hate and malice and spite. I can't give you a formula for how to know him but I can give you principles. And they're going to sound a lot like the same principles that you need for a great marriage because that's how intimate God wants our relationship with him to be. The first principle is time. You'll never know him if you don't give him time. In fact, I want to challenge you today, if you haven't given him time outside of this auditorium, please start. Start with five minutes. Start with 10 minutes. Just start. Just carve out time for him regularly, hopefully daily. But even if you start and you do it for five days and you, then you fail for a week, start again. Just don't quit. Give him time. Spend time with him. Secondly, conversation. Talk with him. Talk with him about everything in life. Yes, he cares about what's going on in your job. Yes, he cares about how you parent your kids. Yes, he knows everything that's in your heart and he knows the words that can unlock your children's heart, that can unlock your spouse's heart. He knows what's coming and he knows how to prepare you for it. Talk to him about it. Tuesday morning when you go back to the office, don't just go back boring. Go back and sit down and say, Jesus, I need you here. I need your wisdom here. 
Show me how to be Jesus on this job. Jesus, change me. Let me be a witness on this job Tuesday morning and do that every day before every meeting. Invite him in to your life. And then listen to him. You know, we have this amazing book called the Bible. It's not a history book. It's not a dead letter. It's a life-giving love letter from God to you. Yes, you can understand it. Yes, he will unlock it for you. Yes, he will reveal it for you. The one who wrote it lives inside of you. He knows what God meant, and he'll explain it to you. Just sit and read it. If you don't know how to do that, sit down and use our SOAP devotional. SOAP. S-O-A-P. It's on our website. It explains everything there. But just do it. But finally and most importantly, we've got to be responsive. We've got to open our hearts here, church. And when he speaks, and he says, apologize, or he says, repent, or he says, forgive, or he says, give, or he says, trust me. We've got to respond. We've got to say, okay, I will. I don't know how Jesus teach me, but we've got to respond. That softens our heart. That opens our world to him. And it helps us know him as everything that we need in life as the air we breathe. Will you just bow your head and sit as Kirk ministers to us? today we lay down everything that we thought was so important forgetting forgive us father for letting our lives get so cluttered with the stuff that just wears us out and literally sucks the life out of us but God today we choose the better portion we choose knowing you. God, I thank you for the invitation that you've given to every one of us to draw closer to you today. 
Lord, for each person in here, that's something different. But I pray that every heart will be responsive to you. And in that moment, God, they'll encounter the love that they've been craving and experience the satisfaction they so desperately desire. God, thank you. Thank you for wanting relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.